The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, the week on The Right Hook here at Newstalk is coming to an end with me, George Hook, and we've got some of the outstanding items of today's show that you can listen to just in case you miss them. I'm joined now by Finnegal MEP for Dublin, Brian Hayes. Uh, Brian, welcome to the programme. Thanks, George, for having us. Um, I was talking to your Finnegal Europe uh, uh, colleague, Deirdre uh, uh, Clune, mm-hmm. uh, talking about this very issue of security, this of sharing information, which, are, which, are, which you think is very important. Uh, and you want to talk to me about it. But before I do, funny enough, I think there's something more important. Mm is the issue of Brexit. Every time I read my beloved Daily Telegraph every day, it seems to me more and more likely that Britain could uh, pull out. Uh, you've been, you've, you've made a ser- very serious speech today about it. Tell me what you've said. Well, I, I think we've got to prepare for the worst. And the worst case scenario, if the British decide to leave, uh, we are in deep trouble. And I think we can no longer presume that they're going to remain if you look at the polling evidence. I, for instance, I was in Romford in Essex last weekend, meeting a cousin of mine. I met some of his mates that night. They're all voting to leave. They couldn't care less about Scotland. They couldn't care less. They blame Europe for everything. Uh, and I don't think you're going to be able to get a message across in the UK over the course of the next 10 weeks to change the mindset of a lot of those people. So the point I made in my speech today to the European um, Journalists Association here in Dublin was that we have got to prepare for the worst case scenario. Now, I don't believe, quite frankly, that there is serious contingency planning going on in government. But you're talking about your colleagues here. I am. And I don't blame them. It's, they're trying to form a government at the moment. It's not on the, on the horizon. But all bets are off in 10 weeks' time if the Brits decide to go. Because you're entering into a period, not of two-year negotiations, potentially of seven or ten years. The treaty, treaty, Article 50 of the Amsterdam Treaty, which allows a country to get out of this thing called Europe, says that as soon as a government decides to leave and the people have decided, the European Council then have a two-year negotiation period where the Commission negotiate with the country that's leaving on the basis of trade and all of the other terms. At the end of that period, it can only be extended by unanimity. So in other words, one government in, in, in Luxembourg or Lithuania or Poland or Ireland or wherever could refuse to grant an extension and you could have a longer period at the end of that with no determined outcome. This thing could go on for eight years. In the middle of it, There's uncertainty in Ireland. So what I said today was this. We have got to get real and start putting down in plain language what kind of red line issues have to be on the table for us. We will need an agreement between Britain and Ireland if they leave and equally we'll need an agreement between uh, the E, a new agreement between Ireland and the EU. Now in this speech, which was pretty trenchant I have to say, and you didn't hold back, you see six red line issues. Mm. What are they? Trade. Um, if, for instance, trade Britain is our trading, biggest trading partner, 35 billion, 1 billion effectively across the IRC every single week. If they get out of Europe and are entitled to have lower standards in terms of the application of that trade that disadvantage us, we should have something to say about that. And that might require opt-outs for us. Two, on the question of borders, we can't have a situation where there will be border controls between uh, Ireland, North and South it's madness for the old Ireland economy and it's madness also. This is not, no, you're not scaremongering here. No. You think there's a real possibility you could be shown your passport at Newry. Well, if you arrive from, from Krakow into Dublin and you then head off to Newry, 
you, you are entering the UK once you head into Newry, effectively. So they will require some kind of controlling system, uh, be it a border control or anything else, to check the people who are coming through. And how that's going to work, we need to be clear about that. Thirdly, what I said was on financial services, which represent about 8% of GDP here in Ireland, we need to make sure that if the Brits leave, who they will set their own, they will set their own rules on financial services, which could disadvantage our financial services industry, which employs about 40,000 people and, as I said, gets about 8% of GDP. On agriculture, how is it the case that they could have lower standards on food production, cheaper costs of food, that, you know, we feed the British market every single week and we could have higher costs on car emissions? Would they be part of an EU agreement or not, which could seriously affect our, our, our agriculture industry? On peace funding. What I'm saying is they're just Brian Hayes' red line issues, but there could be 10,000 other red line issues. If we don't start signalling what those issues are, we're in real trouble. But Sorry to interrupt, but my guest is Finnegan MEP for Dublin, Brian Hayes, who made a trenchant speech today saying that this government, many of them his own colleagues, are not prepared for Brexit. Just for someone like me... I haven't heard anybody talk about Brexit in a serious way until you have today. Well, I think this. I mean, I, I'm not. This is an attack on my, my colleagues in government. No, I understand it, that, but but, it, but you are a Fine Gael yes, MEP, well, and Fine Gael is. But in this government. is a problem across all the political parties here. Everyone's talking about doing what we can to help Irish people in Britain vote the right way, and there's significant numbers of people in Irish people who have a vote in the UK. And that is right about that. And the Taoiseach has, has done a good job in getting that message out there. I'm more concerned, I have to say, with what happens if they leave. And it seems to me there's a disruptive element of politics now. If you look at the Dutch result recently, our own result here, the pending Brexit result in 10 weeks' time, it seems to me we can't assume that they're going to remain. Like when, when we joined, we could only join in 73, 74 when they joined. We couldn't have joined before they joined. And the question would be posed if they leave. The question would be posed, George, can we stay in? Now, I think we can. I'm but it, it does make a certain amount of sense because when I read your speech, you made that point. You said we couldn't go into Europe without them. We had to go mm. in when they went in. There is a logic to saying if they leave, we leave too. There it's, is a logic to that. It is the logical question that will follow the day after they decide to go. And what I'm saying is it's better as a political system, and it's difficult for the politicians now here because they're, they're so mired in the whole government formation thing, it's, it, we need to be able to answer that question to our own people the day which they go after. But if, if also when that decision comes up, uh, you need a strong government. And the one thing mm. we are unlikely to get out of all this palaver is actually a strong government. I mean, nobody can you can suggest lots of things about minority government, but it's not going to be strong. Well, and it is it is almost certainly short term. Whatever short term might be, it's not going to be a five year term. Well, it might be the Brexit issue which encourages a national government. It might be the Brexit issue which encourages a partnership government between Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil because all bets are off economically for us if the British decide to go because you're, you're, you're potentially in a seven-year period of negotiation. Uh, I hear some people saying, oh, businesses will go from London to Dublin because we're in English-speaking or we're in the Eurozone. I, I'm not so convinced of that argument, I have to say. Businesses go where certainty exists and where political stability exists. And I'm saying, A, we need this debate now to work out what the red line issues are. They mightn't be the red line issues that Brian Hayes has said in his speech today. They could be other things. 
I think some of the issues that I've highlighted will be red line issues. But if we can get some political agreement on what those negotiations need to look like, it will be a- easier for us then to have some national agreement on, on the negotiations that will follow A, with the British and B, with the EU. What, what surprised me uh, is talking to some Irish people living in Britain and uh, Irish people living in Britain who weren't like their fathers and grandfathers who were working on construction sites. Mm. These were prof- the professional classes. Many, many of them voting for Britain to leave. Yeah, I think that one of the things that struck me from my little visit to Romford Essex last week uh, and was um, I'm struck by, particularly for Conservative voters who really want the integrity of the UK to, to remain, you know, Scotland remain in, Northern Ireland, Wales to remain, you know, the UK, the integrity of that. And they would concern themselves by Scotland and making sure, you know, they might vote to remain in to make sure that Scotland would continue in because clearly the Scottish will uh, want to remain in. But there's less interest from English voters now in the interest of Scotland because of the rise of the SNP and because of the issue of the referendum some years ago. So I think there is a growing English nationalism which is different to other sense of nationalisms in, in Scotland and certainly in Wales as well. And I think there is a reaction to the ongoing wish of a lot of people in Scotland to go down the independence route so there's a lot of, there's a lot at play in this. I don't we we could get on the wrong side of this through no fault of our own bar the fact that we are dependent on the UK for so many things. Right. Uh, I still believe we can remain in the European Union. I still believe that we we can remain absolutely in the eurozone, but we just need to be clever in the kind of negotiation okay. that we need to lead. We need to prepare for anything. That's a reasonable question by my guest, Finnegan MEP for Dublin, Brian Hayes. Now, the other ratio, um, as I said, raised also by your colleague Deirdre Clune, this idea that in a, an extraordinarily uh, tense time mm. for Europe, the sharing of information by airlines and so on. And the European Union appears to be dragging its feet. And this is concern, certainly for Fine Gael MEPs. Why? Well, we, well we, I was in Strasbourg yesterday, I was back in Dublin last night, um, and we a major development happened yesterday when we voted what's called this PNR thing, or the Passenger Name Record legislation, which has been hanging around for the last 11 years. And it simply means that airlines are now duty-bound to give information on the people that travel on their airlines to the security authorities right the way across the European Union. At the moment, if you fly to America, your your information, your PNR is given to the US authorities. Between Britain and Ireland, we have a new agreement. We simply want this extended to the EU. It took us five years of foot-dragging and endless political prevarication to get this through. Finally, we have got it through. And I think it is important. But why were Sinn Féin opposed to it? I I don't know. You'll have to ask them. And I'm not going to speak for them. But apparently it's on the question of civil liberties and and all of that. But I just think it's just... One of the great civil liberties is to be safe on an airplane, I would have thought. Or walking your street or running your marathon. Sometimes with Sinn Féin, you know, if if I'm seen to be supporting something, they're against it. They're not sure why they're against it, but they're against it. And I think the problem is this was something sensible. It it came from Europol. It came from the Gardaí. It came from every single police authority that simply wants to know if there's a pattern of travel from one guy who's going from Syria back and forth and he, he buys his ticket by a credit card rather than cash and he sits in a certain seat and where he the, the variations of travel, they want to know that. And there are limitations in the legislation to make sure there can't be civil rights abuses. But this is in the... But new- we have it now, have we finally? We, we, the European Parliament signed off to it yesterday. 
it now will be signed off by the European Council who already wanted this to happen and over the course of the next year or so the authorities can now make this happen. I think it's one small step. It wouldn't have stopped the bombing in Brussels or in Paris but it's one of the... I mean, I think if there's one thing we need to learn from Europe is the need to share intelligence because... The truth of the matter is, is this thing could happen in Dublin, it could happen in Manchester, we need to be prepared. Before you go, uh, you're not unaware that everybody's talking about forming a government uh, (laughs) over here (laughs) while you're you're doing big deals in Strasbourg. Uh, Are you surprised or what? I mean, you were director of elections, weren't you? I was director of elections. And so, like, I mean, you saw the result came out. When you saw the results coming out on Sunday, Mm. did you look at that and sort of say... Oh, when I saw the results, yeah, I was very disappointed with the result, of course. Um, but when I saw the result, it struck me that the immediate reaction would logically be a Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil government if you wanted a stable government for five years. And as you know, Enda Kenny has offered that to Michal Martin and Fianna Fáil don't, go, don't want to go down the grand coalition option. And like, I understand their problem with this. There's problems for us in that as well. But I understand their problem. Their essential problem is that they would leave the ground open to Sinn Féin as to be the leading opposition party. Um, so now... In fairness to Miel Martin, he said he's going to negotiate with us to see if we can have a Fine Gael-led government with independence, um, but with some agreement between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And at best, a government, I would hope, that could last for maybe explain, three or four all years. All right, but explain to us who aren't familiar with the way you politicians work out uh, strategically. I mean, because there's a lot of strategy going on here for the future as well. It's not just this government, mm. it's future elections. Why... Why is it a bad idea for, say, Fianna Fáil to leave Sinn on the opposition benches? What theory behind I think that? I think that? my understanding from Fianna Fáil is their concern would be that they would lose out in that environment, where they would see themselves, even though the numbers really would mean it would be a 50-50 government in terms of numbers, even though we're bigger and not bigger by, by many, I think the perception is, as a smaller party, they would lose um, a greater share of support and possibly Sinn Féin could take that up. Five years is a long time. But what I think, you know, particularly in light of the first thing we discussed, Brexit, and I said all bets are off, what is really important is that we have some economic plan to get us through the next year or two, which are going to be difficult. Uh, we, you know, I, I, the other thing I made in the speech today was this. At the moment, sterling to the euro is 80p. It was 80p, 81 cents, 81p this morning, right? They, the economists tell me by the end of this year, if the, if the Brits go, it'll be parity. But that that's, would, that's hell to pay for export. Well, it's been, like, we would be in a dire situation. One of the reasons why we've done well in recent years is the relative strength of ster- sterling and the dollar yeah. vis-a-vis the euro. Absolutely. And if that goes the other direction, we are in trouble. So I think some kind of national government may well be required in a circumstance for the British to leave. And, you know, I would say to the media and the public to give the politicians the time they need. This is not easy. We haven't been here before, really. And we need to take our time to make sure we get some stable government. I think we can. All right. Brian Hayes, Finnegal MEP for Dublin. 53106, the number is always for your text messages. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie all right, uh, on the issue of Brexit and uh, Brian Hayes, the Finnegal MEP, Carl and Nate thinks Hayes is just trying uh, to scare us. And uh, with the UK winning an opt-out on an ever closer Euro Union, the Irish people, uh, we need an opt-out 
too. And if Britain leaves the EU, should we rejoin the Commonwealth? Says Sean, would be a bad idea and linked to Sterling. Surely can't they vote again until they vote the right way? Well, that's what they did with us uh, every time. And as Colin rightly points out, Brexit is a bigger issue than the formation of a government. I'm joined now by Dr. Mary McCreary, who's consultant dietitian and nutritionist at the BlackRock Clinic. Dr. McCreary, welcome to the programme. Thank you. You've been looking at a survey uh, done by SuperValue, which they call the Home Truths Survey. What did you find? Right. Well, the idea of the survey was to try and see, first of all, what did people actually think was healthy eating and what were healthy meals and what what way people were approaching it. So what we found most of all was that 75% of under 34 year olds who were interviewed were eating takeaways more than once a week. So that's seven, 75% of that age group. And where more than once a week. More than once a week, yeah. Mm. I would and have thought. I would have thought it was more than once a week. Would you? More, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Would, yeah. Well. Nearly all of the respondents in the survey um, were were recognising that cooking from scratch really is the healthiest way to eat and that it's more economical and that it's, you have more control over what you're eating. And where everybody wants to uh, prepare and eat together and share meals, they're not actually doing that. So the next questions that were asked is, well, why are you not doing it? So the, the highest number of respondents really said it was because of work time. They just really don't have time to cook. Um, a huge number, a third of them said they're just too lazy to cook and a third said they actually don't know how to cook. So in response to that, SuperValue have launched what they've called this Good Food Karma, where the the aim is to try and encourage people to cook from scratch at least once a week, to do one more meal from, from scratch. So they've taken on these ambassadors who have done up all these recipes, which are available online. I've checked all of these recipes. They're all healthy. They're all quick. They're easy. They're inexpensive. They're normal foods. They're trying to get the idea is to try and get people back cooking from scratch again. This this group uh, under 35, of which mm. 75% responded, they'd take away more than once a week. You have to assume a percentage of that 75%, and mm. probably quite a substantial percentage, are married. So, they, so right. therefore, what you also have to assume in a sense mm. is that maybe children, therefore, yes. are, are eating takeaway food as well. That's right. Yeah, and, and to me, that's a worrying trend because yeah. it means that really that parents aren't making the effort to not only involve their children in preparing and cooking meals, that they actually are taking the easy way out. And it's very expensive to get takeaways. It's beyond me how people actually spend that amount of money <laughs> but on a I'm now floor. I'm now going to get killed. Okay. All right? yeah. I'm going to get killed. But once upon a time when there was a there was a, an understanding that a woman's place was in the home. Right. Right. And a woman was going to be cooking. Yeah, yeah. Right. Therefore, when they were at school, they they there was a thing called domestic economy or whatever, mm, which is probably science, been, yeah. yeah, which is yeah. probably thrown out the window now in favor of nuclear physics, it's which is home economics. <laughs> it's called, <laughs> which is fine. But yeah. I and I, I mean I I'm actually not trying to make an argument yeah, in, yeah, in no, favor yeah, of going yeah. back there, but. We, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater in a sense that yeah. that many women, now women will say, well, the husband should do it. But mm. forget that argument for a moment. We are under uh, pl- 
playing, if you like, the value of being able to cook, whether it's husband or wife, man or woman. I mean, and that is it. I mean, whether you're a a working female or you're, you're at home most of the time, Women have a different relationship with food than what men do anyway, because they have to think about it all the time, what to buy, what to cook. They're they're serving it, they're cleaning up after it. So they have a different relationship. So they get fed up quicker with it. So I would think that if if you do have a man in your household that can cook in any way, he's the one that maybe should be doing the Friday night dinner or the Sunday lunch. That's true. But uh, but it's interesting how it changed. See, in in 1960, Mm -hmm. right, when I went to London as a young immigrant, there's five of us in an apartment. Yeah. Because of, like the only takeaway was fish and chips, mm-hmm. so therefore, even though we were five young fellas, we cooked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah. The, the, yeah. there was no okay. We after rugby match on Saturday, we went for a curry, but yeah. that was even a restaurant. But the thing is now because of the ease of takeaway. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, the quality has improved mm-hmm, a lot. Mm-hmm. It, there's a great incentive not to cook at all. And what what the survey did show is that 31% of that age group actually don't know how to cook. That's really worrying. Yeah, it, that is worrying. And what you were saying there about like domestic science now become home economics and it's gone very science orientated. It, does, it, it doesn't do the basic skills. It does a little bit of the basic skills, but it's not all about cooking and learning how to shop and make out um, a shopping list or ingredients. And in my opinion that if schools could even give one hour a week to every class and they have to cook a meal from scratch, I think that would go a long way to improving boys, particularly how to cook. Yeah, I mean, the assumption was, well, it was true. The only places that domestic domestic economy were girls' schools, whereas now, in fact, boys' schools are doing it. They do. Uh, Mm. And and so Mm. there's an understanding that, uh, here, lad, you know, Mm. Mm. you're going to have to do this sort of thing. But what is also worrying with the takeaway thing, if we talk about families, at a very early age, you're saying to children, food is something that is cooked off-site and taken away, aren't you? Yeah. From a very early yeah. age. And I work a lot on mental health. And one of the big um, bits of advice that we do give to families is that you should be sitting down and having dinner together, if if not maybe every day, but certainly about five times a week. And this idea of everybody eating at different times, it loses the whole ability, the, the social etiquette around food, it's around manners, it's about social interaction and literally breaking bread together. I think we've lost that habit a little bit of, of sitting around and just having the chat at the end of the day. The the thing about uh, we, I mean, people live in apartments in, mm, in flats, mm. and and not everybody has children. Yes, and and increasingly because it takes very often two people uh, earning to to mm. to to mortgage a home and all that sort of thing. There are all those pressures. Yes, but but nevertheless, if you take away the great tradition, like mm-hmm. then people aren't going to think about it. And just talking about living in flats and things, I would see certainly in my own practice, um, like a lot of older single men that may be widowed or they may be divorced that had never actually learned how to cook and they couldn't be bothered cooking for one. So what Supervalue are trying to do is to get people back to that idea and back to the idea that cooking is perfectly uh, a normal day to day thing to do. It's not expensive. It doesn't take a lot of time. Any of these recipes that have been done up take about 15 minutes for midweek 
midweek meals um, and it's a combination of fish and chicken and meat and you know there are some vegetarian dishes as well so it's really something for everybody but even if people just cooked one more meal from scratch per week I think it would go a long way to maybe getting people back cooking again and maybe just appreciating the food a little bit more. Yeah, but but I mean, the the ultimate thing about it is the social thing, I think. Yes, you mentioned yeah. about the yeah. family. Yes. There was something about a meal, wasn't there? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that just coming together and having that meal together. Um, Kevin Dundon was talking earlier, he was serving gravy in a teapot and he said, if you did that on the table, they're all going to start talking about look, the gravy's in the teapot. He said, once you get people start talking about food, you've got the conversation going. You know, And of course, the French who have a fantastic relationship with food, with food. you sense always that children are, are have a better appreciation of, of eating, don't That's they? That's right. And sitting around and just chatting over the table, not just gulping it down, not just you know, just eating anything just to satisfy hunger. It's its a question of oh, appreciating food and appreciating good food as well. Well, you'll be delighted with Eamon from Dublin. He has a wife and a young family and he works. He does all the shopping and all the cooking. He says people like me do exist. Well, that's fantastic. That's great to hear. And, you know, that, that, that that's to be encouraged if anybody can manage it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, I'm probably beyond it, doctor, but you never know. <laughs> I doctor, don't know about that. <laughs> dr Mary McCormick. Creary, consultant, dietitian, nutritionist at BlackRock Clinic. And don't forget, it's the Home Truths Report from Supervalue. And uh, there's no doubt if you head in there, as I do on a regular basis in Dean's Grange, uh, there's some really great fresh stuff that you might try. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie it's now time for That Was The Week That Was with my guest this week, Tara Duggan. Tara, welcome to the programme. A pleasure as always, George. What got you all uh, excited at this week? Well, it's been some week, I have to say. There's been a lot of things to get excited about or fall asleep uh, at the wheel about, uh, depending on your view. The Lewis strike sort of became even more nuclear during the past week and it just kind of got me thinking. I mean, there's been so much commentary about the audacious pay demands of Lewis drivers. And we've heard the comparisons with trainee Gardaí or newly newly trained Gardaí and um, nurses and, you know, other... uh, other um, jobs and positions that people seem to deem as being more worthy of, of pay uh, than But than they the are Lewis more drivers. worthy. You can't they seriously compare I'm a not, no, I'm nurse not. to a Lewis driver. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not for one second. And I mean, you know, I did describe it as an audacious pay claim. Started off at 50 odd percent talks at the Labour Relations uh, Commission, um, you know, got an agreement at 18%, which was rejected, then a further offer of 10% from the company. But now we have um, workers on protective notice. The trade unions are normally the ones who push the nuclear button in in this type of situation. And now they're not not liking it because it is the employer, Transdev, who's doing it in this case. But I think the thing about Transdev is Transdev is an international organisation. I don't Dublin is going to make a major difference to Transdev's bottom line particularly if they pay this claim they're going to have a minus bottom line in Ireland so they might 
just say thanks very much and walk. They could. There is the potential for them to do that. I mean, they do have contractual obligations with the state, although, you know, if they can't fulfil those contractual obligations, well, then, yeah, there is potential for them to walk or be booted away. But it's this thing about how, you know, if if they were to get a, a, a pay award and if, if this was to settle down and if, if we were to brought back be brought back from the brink of strike action or protective notice, it's the opening of the floodgates, George. And we've already seen dart drivers, bus drivers. We've already seen other transport sectors watching this keenly. And it just... At what point will people realise that we're starting to lose the run of ourselves again here? This is a big issue for the economy. Sure, it's a big issue for Transdev. Sure, it's a big issue for SIPDU. Sure, it's a big issue for the, the hundreds of thousands of people who use the Lewis in Dublin on an average day. But this is a big issue for the economy. This could potentially open the floodgates. The central bank at the start of this year predicted economic growth of around 4.8% for 2016. They gave that with a very big caveat, which was that we were, uh, that, that although the, um, the homegrown economy seemed to be performing still fairly well, that we are very exposed to the risk of external shocks, the likes of China, the likes of uh, volatility in the oil markets, the likes of Brexit. And also, one of the caveats they put on it was political uncertainty. Now, well, uh, if we've sorry. ever been politically yeah. uncertain, yeah. it's today. I was going to ask you, um, how do you feel about the political uncertainty? Like, do you not get a sense, or is it just me, that like there's kind of sleepwalking going on, that everybody is assuming that the, the, the country's going to continue. The most interesting thing I hear is Michael Noonan saying, you know, I, I had money to reduce taxes and I had money to cancel out USC and I had money to do this. That's all gone now, mm. he says. Mm. Which I'm not sure where it went, but he says it's all gone. Isn't there a sense of you just want to kind of shake them and go, lads, will you grow up here? And at the time of the um, the collapse, or, or as we were heading towards the collapse at the end of 2008 of the... Um, 2009 rather, of the uh, Fianna Fáil Green Coalition, there were calls at that point in time for a national unity government to be formed, which would encompass all parties and none. And I wonder, because I mean, I've heard political correspondents today say that particularly uh, the turn of events over the last 24 hours and bearing in mind that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael negotiating teams are back talking again this afternoon, this evening. But I wonder, the Polcors are sort of saying now that in actual fact I heard one or two of them put the likelihood of another election at this point at 50-50. Well, I, I think it is 50-50. I mean, how I I just don't understand why anybody is seriously considering that you can have a what they call a minority government with eighteen fellas who who or not one not any two have the same idea. You're t- you're talking about the independents, wasn't yeah. it? Funny how they were able to go into Ag House though during the week and come up with an agreement on on something. Um, so I mean, I suppose you know, don't write them off on on, on right. at well, this point I, in time. But but I I will just say that. Um, um, it'll be very interesting because if, if we get to next Thursday and we don't have uh, a Taoiseach elected at that point in time, the president really, it's over to Michael D. Higgins, isn't it? And would he come into the House and go, 
okay guys I'm, I'm not going to, to I'm not going to, to um, sign an order for another election it's time now to sit down and have a national unity government No well he can't say that he can he can say to the Taoiseach go back the last time this kind of stuff happened funny enough was in England where like the king because you go to the king or the queen uh, for, for for dissolution and where uh, they were sent back uh, by the king as it then was in the 1930s uh, go back and, and form another government I don't I think this I think a government formation is impossible I think and I just wish we, I think if we had everybody saying if we had an election uh, it'd be the same result I guarantee it won't be What do you I, think it would be then? Because a ton of people will suddenly realise where the problem is. That if you don't, whatever you might think about things, if you don't vote for a cohesive party, you can't get a government. Mm. You just can't. Like, but don't who, who will be the ones that lose out? Will it be the independents? I mean, well, the independents, uh, and I heard um, Matthew McGrath make this point, he, he was saying that he wouldn't, uh, he, he doesn't see him envisage himself voting for Enda Kenny next week. Because the way he the put it, and it actually made sense, was that there was no Fine Gael TD um, returned in his constituency. So therefore, the message he's getting from his constituents is, we don't want Fine Gael. Uh, but uh, look, the, the, I think um, this has been beaten to death. I think that fin- the independents would lose out uh, because one, they wouldn't have any money. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, the second thing is, I think people would suddenly, I, I can't believe the Irish people wouldn't suddenly say, hold on here, we're voting now. We, if we, ever we were voting for a government, we're voting for it now. And I think they'd have to vote for it. I think, now, it might be a Fianna Fáil government or it might be a Fine Gael government. I don't know which government it'd be, mm. but it'd be a government, uh, surely be the God. Um I'm talking to Tara Duggan because it's Friday and we're looking at the week that was. I didn't follow this story closely, but um, you as probably one of the great kitchen princesses in the world probably understands it. What's this about you can't eat pizza except in leap years or something? Oh, What's this you're talking about uh, you're talking about um the the uh, Mars, the, the the parent company of Dolmio and Uncle Ben's who announced in the States last night that uh, they were going to be changing the labelling on their products. They make, you know, for example, you know, um, Uncle Ben's sweet and sour sauces and Dolmio yeah. uh, pasta sauces, that they were going to be changing the labelling um, to advise people that this was something that they should be eating occasionally, not regularly every second day, every third day, um, because of the um, and the amount of fat, salt and sugar that are contained in their products. It's very significant, I believe, George. It's the first time that we've had a food company take a, an initiative like this. And we've heard a lot about, for example, calorie counts on restaurant menus here in this country in recent years and a lot about food labelling and how really very unclear it is. Now, I don't know when the last time was you cooked dinner. Never. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. I never cooked dinner in my entire... Uh, actually, it's quite interesting at the moment um, because uh, when the lovely Ingrid was in the hospital recently and then she said, you know, I'm coming out now, you'll have to take care of me. And I said, you must be out of your tiny mind. Like, if you think I'm going to cook, like. and What did uh, you do? 
uh, Dalmio and Uncle Ben. <laughs> well, not quite, but I mean, you see, Marks and Spencers are brilliant. Now, Marks and Spencers have a great thing for old age pensioners: a dinner for two and a bottle of wine. Yes, all it's not for just about, for the OAPs, and I've just for about twelve ninety. So. But, but uh, yeah, although I do remember the last time I cooked dinner. I do. Funny enough, I do. What well, seldom is wonderful, George, but go on. Tell I, me, when can, was the last I time you cooked dinner? I can remember exactly where it was. It was in Rochestown, County Cork. It was the seventh Cork Boy Scouts. It was my cookery merit badge. <laughs> and I did Irish stew. Good man, so you have experience. So were, Why did you never do it again, though? <laughs> Too much like hard work. Well, you see, that feeds Although into I the am point. doing a new thing now in the context of helping out my wife, uh, I'm making my own bed. Good man. Have you ever Good tried? God, how has that Tara, woman put Tara, up with you? Have you ever tried? Do you have a duvet? I do. You're right. Well, when we first got married 47 years ago, we were, because Ingrid's Austrian, we right. had a duvet, but nobody Very else rare not. here, yeah. Exactly. So people used to come into the house and go up to look at the duvet in the bedroom. <laughs> They'd never seen one, right? Okay. But, but have, you, have you ever tried to put... The duvet. Have I in ever the tried cover? to put the duvet cover on the duvet? I I do it every week, George, and not just for my own bed, but for my children's beds as well. Every There's a week, trick. every week. Do you change it every week? Every week, pretty because much. Sometimes in the winter time, if the weather is really bad, and I know I'm not going to get the sheets washed, I'll leave them on for an extra few days. But generally speaking, every week. But um, there's a trick. What you do is you you leave the duvet cover inside out. And then you can, there's a little trick that you do. If you have it inside out, you can sort of pull well, it along. I'm gesticulating yeah. wildly, so, which is no yes. good on radio, no, I well, appreciate. I, but, you, so but there are tricks. So Ingrid said to me, you'll have to do your own duvet cover, right? I got as far as the two pillowcases, right? <laughs> I did the two pillowcases. And then I slept under an uncovered <laughs> duvet because I couldn't get the thing on. Oh, right? what a catch you are. What a catch I you are. Get, get back the to the dinner on. for a minute. You mentioned Marks and Spencers. Actually, they're another company that introduced um, a very good initiative in terms of healthy, healthier eating and just consumer awareness. They um, took a decision a number of years ago not to include trans fats, those really f- uh, bad fats in all of their ready meals. So in actual fact, I'm crediting Mars with this, this initiative, but Marks and Spencers actually started it but if you're going to take that lazy approach to making your bed or not making your bed then you're probably precisely the type of person and I'll stick my hand up and do a mea culpa here too sometimes you need to take a lazy approach to dinner and you'll go for a jar now it's silly really because when I think about it to make your own pasta sauce takes 10 minutes no but there is a jar Ingrid gets it a fella used to be on television through the keyhole Lloyd Grossman Lloyd Grossman we're big Lloyd Grossman fans now I don't even open the jar let alone cook it like well, because that's the only thing I can't do because of my old age pensioners fingers arthritic as they are I can't even open the jar so I give it to Ingrid and I say you open the jar you need a butler or a servant full time and yeah, you know what oh, at this no, stage I have Ingrid a plan. putting up with you deserves no, I have it a too. plan. I have a plan what's your plan move to Shanghai yeah. they've got the right idea what did you discover about Shanghai this is a very interesting story that didn't seem to get a lot of coverage during this week but the city of Shanghai so this is an official move now um, they've enacted a new law which will come into effect there on the 1st of May 
And basically, their concern is that elderly parents, older parents, are not being visited or being paid very much attention to by their adult children. And this is concerning them uh, on a number of fronts. And so from now, from the 1st of May... Older parents whose children, adult children, don't keep in touch with them regularly and don't visit them regularly, those elderly parents can now sue their yeah. children. Now, this is a two-edged sword for me because, I mean, I've been, I've been public about it. I was very bad to my parents and, and I didn't visit them and all that sort of stuff. And it's been a regret all my life. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing, my children are very good to me. Yes, well, I was going to ask you about that because obviously no, I was aware very about good your to own me. parents. They're very good to me. And the thing about it is, when I look how I feel, you know, that they come to me, yeah. I think how awful it must have been then for my parents that I didn't do it, yeah. you know. And they're very good. And they, oh, but there's none of this. They don't call me George or anything like this. I'm still dad. Oh, God, yeah. Well, I mean, my mother is still mom. You and know? my grandchildren don't do any of this George stuff either. They get a clip around the ear. I believe in corporal punishment for any child who does not call granddad granddad. Well, now, I have, uh, my niece has a, has a little boy and my brother, uh, he was only in his early 50s when he became a granddad and he wasn't very keen on being called granddad. So he's Limo. That's what he's called. It's not, not quite Liam, but Limo. But this is um, a very interesting, I think, uh, in initiative in, in, in Shanghai. 30% of the population of Shanghai City are over 60 years old. Really? And um, I mean, not only can, can they actually now sue their children, but if the, if, if the city of Shanghai authorities deem that, um, that, the, that the adult children are not doing their bit in terms of checking in with their parents, keeping them company, visiting them on occasion, right. they can have their credit scores blacklisted and they can be <laughs> fined. All right, well, I'm lucky. My, my kids' credit scores are, must be in good shape for all the time... They, they visit. Listen, by the way, it's record store day mm. tomorrow. If you're going to have to buy a record, what would you buy? I don't even have a turntable, so I wouldn't know what to buy. I, I, can, te- I can certainly tell you the first record that I ever did buy. Oh, yeah, what was it called? It was the very original Now That's What I Call Music. It didn't even have a number after it. It was the first one, and I reckon now just off the I top of my me. head, it was a compilation album, and it was the very first one that was ever done. I think Now is kind of like well into the hundreds. It's it's pretty much released I, every year. The first one I ever bought, and I bought it, but I didn't have anything to play it on, um, uh, but, but I, we had a great gramophone. Do you know what a gramophone is? I do know what a gramophone is, yeah. And you turn the handle and to get it going. It was clockwork like and you turn the handle to get it going and it played it at 78 revolutions a minute because it was a single. Yep. Right? And it was the Elizabethan Serenade. You could use a gramophone but you can't change a duvet or open a jar. You're some man for one man, George Hook. I am, yeah. <laughs> Lloyd Grossman. He was great on True the Keyhole. Do you remember that? I do remember it. I, in fact, I still watch it. It's back on ITV Is again it? but it's Keith Lemon, the comedian Keith Lemon who does it now and it's it's very funny. All right, that was the week that was uh, with uh, Tara Duggan. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie
All right, uh, it's the usual uh, Friday guest, Alison Spittle. I never have any idea what she's going to talk about, <laughs> or worse still, what she's going to wear. Uh, just to give you an idea, I know it's radio. If you're of a certain age, you'll remember Dorothy Lemour with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope in the road pictures. Uh, she's wearing a kind of a thing in her hair uh, that sort of she borrowed from Dorothy Lemour. The only thing she's missing. Uh, uh, is the grass skirt. Uh, so instead she's wearing her pyjama bottoms and a green t-shirt which reads what? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's an old Yes Equality t-shirt. Yes Equality. You're a bit late. I know, I thought, I thought I'd jump on the bandwagon. It's like wearing a Man U t-shirt yeah. after they win the treble or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. If she's, we lost, I wouldn't have worn and it And she that is time. also wearing passion fruit red lipstick <laughs> You should name the makeup, George. Anyway, what are we doing today? Well, I thought we were. Do you remember you were telling me that um, I was chatting about getting eye contact? I keep calling it eye contact lenses. Contact lenses, right? Yeah. And um, I went in. And did you get them? Well, no, I'm kind of not allowed. I have to. What happened was. I went in to get a teach, to get one of those teachers and spec savers where they teach you how to put contact lenses in. All right. But I kept putting it in too fast and I couldn't get it into my eye. And once I got it into my eye, I couldn't get it out. And oh a lady my. had to come over and scrape the lens out of my eye. <laughs> I know, oh, I know. That's awful. I know. I felt I felt like I was failing uh, But you're wearing glasses today. I am, yeah. I have to go back in now later on. But you're um, eventually going for contact lenses, isn't it? Yeah, when I'm ready, they'll give me contact lenses. Is, is this like uh, on the basis that men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses? Is that why you're wearing contact lenses? No, I'm in a happy uh, relationship, George. But is it? No, but I mean, is it kind of cosmetic? It's, I'll tell you the it's truth. It's not going to make you see any better. No, well, I, I tell you the truth. I was given the glasses and they said, would you like a free trial at contact lenses? Oh, and I, I thought, go on, so, you know. Oh, I see. Right. That's it. Right. So it's more, okay. more that way, yeah. So anyway, we're going to over the coming weeks. We're going to hear about the progress with the contact. Yeah, lenses. exactly. I, now, I, I, I described Dorothy Lamour way before your time, right? Nineteen yeah, forties, right? No so you have no idea is. what I'm talking no. about. But she invariably played a dusky beauty in a in a grass skirt, right? Did she? That yeah. was, she was typecast in a grass skirt. <laughs> yes, she? and she wore the thing in her hair. What do you call the thing in your hair? Um, a flower? A fabric flower? Is that a flower. It's... flower well, what would you call it? A head headpiece? There used to be a song called We're on our way to San Francisco with flowers in our hair. There was. I remember that song. Oh, yeah. do you? It was not from the time, but I do know that song, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. What else is happening with the Alison Spittle career? Oh, I, I'm playing Vicar Street tonight. You are not. I am. I'm so excited, George. Doing stand-up. Doing stand-up. It's oh my, my first ever time. That's terrifying. No, I'm kind of... No, I'm not terrified. I'm I'm really happy. I am. But I am. I mean, I'm happy for you. Yeah. But, like, you know I do a fair amount of speeches and yeah, stuff like I that. Know, but stand-up is quite hard now. You have to stand up there and try and be funny. Like. Yeah, this is the biggest audience. And have you... Have you... Um, have you got all the jokes ready and everything? I do, I do. I spent all day today. I got my nails done and I was listening to recordings of myself before doing stand-up. And yeah, I, I've, I've got my routine now ready and A I'm routine. excited. And how long does the routine last? Half an hour, George. A half an I know, hour? I know, I <laughs> know. And how many people will there be in Baker Street? A thousand. Alison, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. I'm so excited. I'm genuine. And it's Rob, have you ever... 
Have you heard of that programme called Catastrophe? No. Well, it's a Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney uh, programme. And it's really big at the moment. And Rob Delaney is a stand-up comedian. And he's the guy that's headlining. In Ireland? Yeah, he's headlining. Well, he's from America, but Sharon's from Ireland. But he's headlining over here. And I'm supporting him. So I'm so excited about that now. I mean, I'm thrilled about it. Thank now, you. given that a thousand people have paid 10 bucks each to get in. Yeah. So you're yeah. getting 10 grand for this. Absolutely. 10 grand. That's my fee. That's <laughs> <laughs> Revenue commissioners be on the alert. That's it. it. And I only want green M&Ms in the, in the dressing room. No other colour M&Ms. Yes, that's very important now yeah. because I used to do the catering for all these stars. Oh, you did know, you? Yeah, the Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, so Tina. Do you know Turner. what they would want? Would it be very specific? Oh, like, yeah. The, 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 I remember um, I had the Rolling Stones yeah. and they demanded sparkling water. They I demanded remember. sparkling yes, water. Yes, but hold a while. Yeah. From Canada. So <gasps> I had to, you couldn't get it. I had to send off to Canada and get sparkling water air freighted over from oh Canada for the Rolling Stones. Then, George, um, I'm sure if you put like super value had, sparkling water in front of them, they'd have to be Then they had, uh, they had to have a table tennis table. Did they? Yeah. Did you get that freighted in from Canada too? <laughs> no, but they never, I never saw them hit a ball, but there was a table tennis table. Yeah. And they had uh, champagne. Champagne. Well, that's yeah. That's Interestingly, they wanted champagne at room temperature. Now, uh, why is that? I don't know. Maybe they know more than I do. I'd always have champagne cold. I must yeah. say, but but so now I'd uh, never have champagne. Well, this. <laughs> now, Alison, you got to put some demands in. Yeah, I uh, well, I don't know. Is it a bit too late now? I I'm not sure. Well, the green M and M seem like a good demand. What yeah. other ones could we come up with? Um, should we get? Egg salad sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Just a big plate of them. <laughs> now, okay, now you've got the flour in your hair. Yeah. You've got the red passion fruit lipstick. <laughs> you've got the green t-shirt. Is this your gear for tonight? No, no, I'm, I'm going to go home and get dressed. I, I just... I, I was, oh, are you? I am, I am. And I, what kind of stuff are you going to wear? I don't know, George. Um, I'm thinking of wearing a red dress. I have this red a dress. A dress. A dress, yeah. Yeah. Short, long, medium? Medium, medium, and a pair of leggings. Be- and, uh, below knee length of dress. Well, you, George, I'm, I tell you now, I'm not a headmaster of a school. I don't measure my skirts. I don't oh, know. Do you you know right, I don't okay. know. And Probably leggings. around the knee. And yeah, leggings. leggings. I well, and what colour leggings would be under a red skirt? Always black. black. Yeah. Always black. I like that. What now, do you think of my shoes? I like the shoes. Good. Usually your shoes are dreadful. They I wear their other shoes. I, I like that. I know. I black, found, uh... black leather. I really like them. Yeah. Now, the other thing is, which I think is quite important, yeah. is hair. Okay. Are you doing nothing for the hair? I got my hair cut today. Cut? Yeah, I got it cut and blow dried. Well, it doesn't look cut and blow dried to me. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, I should go well, back you... and complain. Well, I should go on Yelp. Put some ringlets in. Okay, I'll put some ringlets in. I'll be like an Irish dancer now going up doing comedy. That's what, <laughs> that's what I'm going to look like. I can go into a will this Will this be recorded? Will we be able to play it next week on the show? I, I don't think so. I'm going to... Well, I'll record it on my phone anyway because I record every gig. All so right. I'll have to have a listen. I Yeah, I should. I should get it recorded, really. I'm just... Jeez, I'm so excited. Well, I, uh, listen. Yeah. I, not only are you excited, you're extraordinarily brave. I mean, this ah. is the toughest thing ever. Thank you. Well, I I find it tougher 
to talk to people really one on one rather than stand up. But I've not always, me, like. No, not you. We got microphones and stuff, and we're grand, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I, I always, I, I do love doing stuff. Now, I there, there used to be a thing with uh, comedians on television, yeah. which I did called the panel. Do you remember that? You did the panel. Yeah. Oh, how was that? With Darrow O'Brien and Neil Delamere and a couple of other guys. Yeah, all the greats. Well, well. They seem to think, these comedian fellas, that if you say the F word, it's funny. You know, so if they sort of say F this, F that, F that, everybody breaks down in hysterics. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's funny. Were people laughing or? They were. Are you going to say the F word? I don't know. Well, I you don't lie. know. You yeah. haven't decided. Well, no, no. But I think people say the F word sometimes out of nerves rather than they're thinking it's funny. I think it's almost, you know, do you know when you... All right, when you're when I'm under when I'm on the radio and I've nothing to say, I'll go, um, basically, or what I'm trying to say is it's these kind of vocal ticks that you kind of yes, rely on. Sure, sure. We and, all have those though. Everybody yeah. has vocal ticks. I wouldn't consider the F word a vocal <laughs> tick if you don't mind me saying so. Well well that I, I'm sure that's that's the reason why. I No, it's yeah. interesting. What about broad... the other F word? Are you okay with the F E word? No. Really? It's amazing on radio, a lot, a, a certain number, mostly younger broadcasters, yeah. seem comfortable with using words uh, like excrement, but using... Like those, excrement. But except the word SH, you know. Oh, is that... Is it um, SH1T? Is it, yeah, but it's SH1TE, isn't it? I think there's a difference between SH1T and SH1TE. SH1 yeah, you? I do. I do. I don't know why. That's interesting. Now, it, I don't use any of those kind of words. Yeah. What's on, the worst word that you would use? Well, like, for instance, I'd say horse manure. You do and, use horse manure. That's yeah. true. I was thinking about yeah. that. You know. You're, or what about horse apples? I've never Some said people horse. say that. That's no, I've never said that. I, I, you know, or I say back up the truck. Back up the truck is good. I like that one. Yeah. You're being, okay. Well, maybe we should get people to So listen, to be it's more... a shame that I can't go to Vicar Street tonight. Oh, I don't worry. It's sold out. What? It's sold so, out? Yeah. I'm so excited. And um, what time are you kicking off? I'm kicking off at half eight and the doors are open seven. So no, one piece of advice. Go right? on. Pin a miraculous medal inside <laughs> your underwear. Inside my underwear? Yes. What am I, it, like a, an Opal Corsa, am I? Is this, <laughs> is this what this is now? Putting in religious ideas? I think it'd be a great support. <laughs> and then there used to be great priests called the Redemptorists in my day, right? Were they good at stand-up? And no, they would come to the church and they'd yeah. do their version of stand-up, which is you'll go to hell, you know, if you commit a sin, right? I, I do find Kind of weird, the priests don't but, really crack but jokes. what they say, the redemptorists used to say, if you're under pressure, so yeah. this is a piece of advice for tonight. Oh, go on. Miraculous medal inside your underwear. Yeah. And then if you come under pressure, yeah. you say the great redemptorist prayer, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, help me. <laughs> really? Up on stage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you're under pressure. So if pressure, I forget a punchline, I'll be like, three men walked into a bar, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Help me, help me, that's it. That's what the Redemptor said. They said, in times of temptation, you say, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, help me. 
fair enough, fair enough. I'll remember that. I'll see you next Friday. Can't wait to hear how you got on. I'll try and make up some non-swear words as well for next week. Yes, and we'll see how much you get paid. It'll be (laughs) vitally important. I'll be your agent. I really, you you can be my agent. I'd fully be in favour. I'll take 10%. That, we didn't. We can discuss that after. Alison <laughs> <laughs> spent love a Friday on the right hook. Well, thank you for listening to that digest of news from the Daily Right Hook. But of course, you can hear the full version in all its uh, excitement between four thirty and seven every day, Monday to Friday, here on News Talk. Do take care.